John, we uh, have another special guest this week, the recently retired Zach Britton. Terrific guest. Uh, good job getting him, Joel. Uh, very honest, very bright, very thoughtful fellow. Was very involved with the union and certainly was a Yankee only a couple of years ago. And uh, we expect some good, honest opinions, thoughtful opinions from Zach Britton. I, I think it's going to be an interesting listen. When he was a free agent last offseason, he decided not to sign and he ultimately ended up retired. We're going to talk about a lot of the people who are going to sign over the next few weeks. Otani, Yamamoto, Bellinger, does Juan Soto get trade? We'll play hit and error at the end. That's if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. business of the offseason really gets going post-Thanksgiving. That's where we are now. It particularly charges up with the winter meetings, which uh, people start showing up on Sunday and things go in full Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's in Nashville next week. And John, I think the anticipation of the industry, you tell me if I'm wrong, is that someplace between now and the end of the winter meeting, Shohei Otani will sign the largest contract in the history of the sport. Uh what do you think? Uh, is that where we're heading? And do you have any thoughts on where we're heading? Yeah, he's going to sign the largest contract in the history of the sport. That I'll, that I'll say without <laughs> feeling I'm going on a limb. The timing of it, I, I'm never good at that. I, my wish is that he signs fairly quickly because I think a lot of things are held up. I, I mean, I think this is the most talented player ever, arguably the best player ever. I know I get pushback on that from all the Babe Ruth fans out there or the Barry Bonds fans, but I mean, this is a special, special player. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, many big market teams are involved. It, it, it will cost a lot of money and it's holding things up. I, I don't blame him. He should take his time and do what he wants for himself. But for our sake, I'd like it to go quick. Yeah, you know, John, those people who argue with them, you you know, just go, okay, he's the third best player ever, but Bonds and Ruth aren't available in this marketplace. Uh, so, so, so when we think about him, I wonder if you've experienced this at all. You know, you and I are fairly on the phones a lot uh, every day trying to talk to people. I've been blown away, blown away. You know, I expect the Rangers, certainly the Dodgers uh, are a team that's been mentioned for about a year now. How many folks think he's going to end up a Red Sox? Uh, That the Red Sox have this level of desperation to change the narrative up there. They're cheap. They're disinterested in the baseball team anymore. They certainly, every team could use him, but they they could use him. I've been flabbergasted because it was not a, if you told me three weeks ago, make your list of the top three, maybe even the top five. I'm not sure I would have put the Red Sox on it. Dodgers, Cubs, Rangers, Giants, that kind of group. Uh, what, what, what are you? He- and again, so little information is getting out about this guy. What, what, so, what are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, they're doing a tremendous job keeping it secret. And as Bellello, the main agent, uh, didn't even stay at the main hotel and didn't. Even, I heard that. Yeah, admit where he was staying, but I we do think he was off-site somewhere in Scottsdale. So. You know, we're just reading tea leaves here. I, I did hear the Red Sox, you know, a couple months ago. 
You know, some people just were speculating because he has a new balance contract and they're in Boston. Also, he does seem to have enjoyed playing there. I know he pitched in the rain there uh, early and avoided pitching at Yankee Stadium to to do this. Um, you know, I don't know if that was his choice or the teams or what. We're, we're reading tea leaves here. I mean, I, you know, I've, if I think if I had five teams, I'd probably put the Red Sox on there. I, I don't know they'd be at the very top. I, you know, I still think the Dodgers are the favorite. We shall see. The Giants certainly are in there big. I don't think there's any question about that. We believe the Cubs are in there uh, pitching as well. Uh, Texas, possibly. I mean, to me, Texas has the narrative that they need. They're the World Series champ. Do they need another narrative? Uh, I'm not sure. But, I mean, you could say that about the Dodgers, right? I mean, they're not going to – how many more fans can they draw? Uh, Their TV contract is already the best, you know. Um, So, you know, there, there are pros and cons for every team. Dodgers, though, uh, for winning consistently, uh, being in Southern Cal, where we believe he does like it, uh, you know, that makes sense to me still. Uh, we shall see. They're not always the biggest payer, or frequently are not. Uh, they got a good deals on bets, on Freeman. Uh, just got one on Jason Hayward. Um, but people still go there, and he's a guy who's not all about money. So that's why I've kind of thought the Dodgers, but – uh, you know, I'm not ruling out the Angels either. I think a lot of people have ruled out the Angels, but I, I think he likes it there. You know, they've let him do what he wanted to do. He proved he's the best player for them. It's comfortable. Southern Cal, uh, I'm not ruling them out. So, you know, again, we're reading tea leaves. We're guessing here. Uh, the main thing is we know he's going to get the biggest contract, and we hope it's soon. Yeah. Uh, you know, with what one line that somebody used to me about the Red Sox, they said, hey, they get to reverse Ruth. Right. You were mentioning before, the, you know, who's the greatest player ever, the greatest two way player ever. They obviously sold Ruth to the uh, Yankees and they get to get the modern Ruth. Look, if, I think if he goes back to the Angels, John, it's a little bit like Trout resigning with them. Please don't tell me that winning was the most important thing on your docket. The team hasn't won, uh, doesn't seem under this ownership to be able to put together. Uh, a consistent winner, much less a winner. So, so I wonder, you know, uh, uh, about that. Uh, and with the Dodgers, uh, obviously they want him, but they're going to still need two pitchers besides that, because we know for sure he isn't pitching in 2024. Uh, and they have either young pitchers or Walker Bueller coming back from Tommy John. So let's transition. We've had some pitchers go in this market already, uh, John. Uh, Aaron Nola went back to the Phillies. Sonny Gray uh, ju- just just signed. Uh, you know, uh, we we had uh, Maeda sign. Uh, wh- what do you, what do you think? And and the, and with Gray also we had uh, Lynn and Gibson, right? So they've gotten their three starters. If you think those are the three starters. Uh, what do you think of the starting market right now? Yeah, I mean, I think the contracts have been good as you expected. I mean, Nola, $172 million. I think he could have gotten a little bit more somewhere else, but uh, he's going to be pretty pleased with that going back to where he wanted to be. Sonny Gray at $25 million a year. We probably never would have envisioned, envisioned that based on his New York performance, but he's been good ever since. And he was second in the AL Cy Young. I know it was a big gap between first and second. Still second in the Cy Young is pretty good. Uh, it does feel like that mid-market has moved a little bit thanks to St. Louis with Lynn and Gibson and uh, Maeda signing them with Detroit. We have a lot of guys still in that category to fill, whether it be Manaya, uh, Martinez, Ryu, uh, Miley. Uh, there's a long list of guys who could who really could go fairly quickly. I uh, wouldn't be shocked if Eduardo Rodriguez went fairly quickly. 
Uh, certainly, you could say Gray could be a comp. He is younger, though, so we're expecting more years for Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, you know, I would say that'd be the, the the other big one that could go within the next few days. We'll see. Uh, we know that Atlanta hasn't done anything. The Dodgers haven't done anything yet in terms of a big starter. Uh, Atlanta did sign the reliever Reynaldo Lopez. Um, I don't. I don't see. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez probably going to the Dodgers, but of course you never know. Uh, but, you know, we've identified teams that are looking Boston, obviously, uh, and everybody's looking at Yamamoto, who we haven't even mentioned, uh, 25-year-old uh, superstar right-hander on that WBC team for Japan, uh, and a 182 lifetime ERA, Yankees, Mets, and everybody else looking at him as well. So, I mean, I think Yamamoto and o- Otani are really the main forces in this market right now i don't want to say holding up the market but we're kind of waiting to see where they go uh although i think we're going to see a lot more mid-market plus eduardo rodriguez go a little bit before them yeah i think uh you're you're right john is uh otani the biggest domino and yaman yamamoto the next domino about uh because i think they're going to be expensive and teams always got to try to figure out their budgets uh, how much do we have to spend? How much are we going to spend? And Yamamoto is interesting. You you mentioned it, John. Our colleague Mike Vaccaro wrote about it in the New York Post in the Tuesday edition. We don't have a lot of history of the Mets and Yankees wanting the same free agent, especially top of the market. And in this situation, they both want this player. Why not? He's 25. He's won the version of the uh, Japanese Cy Young three times. Uh, he's been a champion there. Uh, the scouting reports on him are generally terrific. Uh, you know, it feels a little bit like Tanaka, but better, right? Tanaka came here at 25, uh, was a guy who handled the pressure great, pitched really well for the Yankees uh, for a long period of time. Again, I'll tell you something. One of the things I'm hearing, I wonder if you're hearing an echo of this, which is so many people think he's going to end up a Met Yamamoto because it's simply this is the strength of Steve Cohn, which is that at the end of the day, he can say to a player and a representative, just come to me in the end and tell me what the number is, and then I'll beat it. And when I talk to people, they're like, if this becomes a money play and we don't know what Yamamoto wants, right? We've heard he likes the idea of the Yankees historically. There's certainly other teams in it. But if it's money, we used to think the Yankees would always win in our town. That's not true anymore. The Mets could win in our town. Certainly. I mean, Steve Cohen has the deepest pockets. Uh, he obviously won for Scherzer and Verlander. Uh, this is a big piece that everybody in big market is looking at. Even teams like Philadelphia, who's already signed Nola back. You know, obviously the Dodgers are looking uh, closely at Yamamoto. This is somehow uh, seen as a Mets-Yankee battle. <laughs> even though there's probably 10 or 12 teams involved. And, you know, maybe it's fair. Maybe those are the two most likely teams. And you could see the Mets, if they're, you know, want to be competitive this year, but really aiming for 2025 and beyond, you know, it makes sense to get someone who's 25 years old. I mean, almost all these free agent pitchers are about 30, you know, if not 30, as they get to be a free agent and have more mileage on their arm. It still happens not to because, uh, you know, he had some years where fewer innings, but uh, for the most part, they'll have a lot more innings than someone who's 25 years old will have. And it does feel like a Mets-Yankee battle. It really does right now. Uh, And it's kind of interesting to say because you heard rumors of West Coast interest and certainly the Dodgers are in need of starting pitching and as deep-pocketed as almost anybody, not as deep-pocketed as the Mets. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to count the Giants either. You know, they'd like to come up with a big fish at some point, right? They came close 
on many, many guys. And uh, they almost had that uh, $350 million for Correa. Obviously, something went wrong with the medical that we know about now. But uh, they tried for Stanton. They tried for Harper, Judge, uh, you know. Not gonna, not gonna count them. We haven't heard them a ton with Yamamoto. We hear them more with Otani, but uh, we got to figure they're trying hard for both. Yeah, you know the desperation meter is higher in places outside New York, San Francisco, number one. I think the Cubs have a big desperation meter. I think the Red Sox do. By the way, I think the Mariners do. If anybody wakes up there, they just removed money from their payroll. Uh, by training uh, Suarez, their third baseman. Are they going to try to do something? It won't be in the pitching realm. They need bats. So why don't we just close this segment quickly, John? By We we haven't really talked about bats. I don't think a significant bat besides Jason Hayward signed the one-year contract, has signed in this market. The two names that stand out besides, uh, obviously, Otani are Bellinger and does Soto get traded? Uh, they're both players of interest, again, in New York for the Yankees, maybe Soto for the Mets. But certainly those two players, especially Soto, if he goes on the trade market, are going to have a lot of suitors. What do you think about that that pair? Yeah, I've come around on Soto. I, I kind of believe at this point he's more likely than not to be traded, even though it is the Padres and it isn't in their DNA. I mean, obviously the death of the beloved, uh, revered owner, uh, Peter Seidler. I don't know if that plays into it at all. He wanted to win at basically all costs. I don't know if they're going to carry on that tradition or not, but uh, you do hear that they'd like to cut payroll. They've got five pitchers who are pretty pretty good to great for them. Uh, Snell obviously winning uh, the Cy Young, and you've got Hader, who was the top reliever in the league this year, uh, who are free agents now, and they need to replace these guys. And uh, it makes sense that he will be traded. Uh, I, you know, for me, I'd, I'd I'd rather see the Yankees go for Bellinger for the defense for center field. Uh, because it's not a one-year thing, and because you want, now you're not going to have to give up uh, Spencer Jones, and you know I don't think they're going to trade Volpe, but uh, you know they uh, Dominguez, uh, you know you 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 won't have to give anybody up. He's a free agent, so to me, and he's a better fit position-wise. So uh, that makes more sense for me. But I know the Yankees are looking very close. They don't listen to me for some reason. They are looking very closely at Soto. I don't get Soto with the Mets at all. How does that make any sense? if they're playing for 2025 to go out and trade prospects for a one-year player. And I, I don't see any way uh, that an extension is signed now. I mean, certainly Scott Boris uh, will talk about an extension if you see the market his way, which is obviously way north of – they didn't even flinch at $440 million. So if you want to give them $550 million or something like that, I mean, they'll talk, I'm sure. But I, I, I don't see an extension – uh, for Soto. But like you said, Steve Cohn can do what he wants. If you, you know, he can outbid everybody for Yamamoto. He can agree to that ex- extension for Soto too. So uh, that can be done, but to, to acquire him as a one uh, year player uh, doesn't work for the Mets. I don't think. Yeah. And you know, it, it, my suspicion is Soto will get out into next year's free agent market at that point, Steve Cohn could do whatever he wants. And that's kind of like the Yankee problem here is if you give up say four prospects for Soto, you're almost compelled to sign them. And we know Scott Boris, pretty good baseball agent. He's going to say, Oh, you know, the guy across the bridge over there, he's willing to give me five. And, and the Yankees are going to have to double dip there. Right. And the question I keep having with the Yankees, John is, Are they set up right this second for success? You could tell me, well, they'd win more games with Soto or Bellinger, though I have a lot of questions about Bellinger as a player. I mean, 12 months ago, 
He was, uh, you know, not tendered a contract uh, and he had two bad years before that. And I'd worry a little bit if he's some version of Carlos Rodon here, which is like he had a very good walk year. And I'd wonder about the long term of it. But I just look at the Yankee roster and unless you tell me Volpe's going to be much better, Austin Wells is a real player, Dominguez is a real player. Like to me, it's judge and Cole and pray for rain. I'm not sure that they they're really like one great move away from being a significant contender. I think they get themselves deeper in the quicksand. They should save their powder for some when they know they could win. Well, I mean, maybe they're two great moves. I, I, I certainly think they're better than 82 and 80. All those injuries they had, obviously losing Judge for a couple months. Uh, Rodon, he's got to be better, right? He can't be worse. Uh, Cortez has a chance, obviously, to come back and do something uh, special uh, again. Uh, Rizzo, uh, obviously, he, he, we hear he's doing great now. And, uh, you know, they're not – more importantly, it's the Yankee mindset. They're, they're not going to punt on this year. You know, and how many times we say they look, don't look like they're one player away, uh, you know, that's not going to sway them. They're, they're not going to have another season that they deem a disaster. Uh, they're going to try to do their best uh, to put their best foot forward. I, I will be shocked if they do very little. I mean, I guess we're all surprised that that outside entity didn't result in anything, but I'm going to be even more surprised if they don't come up with uh, at least one or two of these big players and, uh, go for it this year. They're not. They're not going to be a team that's going to punt following an eighty-two and eighty season with a veteran team. Yeah, I think that uh, I, I wouldn't recommend punting. I I don't. I think they're going to have trouble winning on Yamamoto. But if they won on Yamamoto, that's a twenty-five-year-old guy who helps them beyond this season. I again to Soto, you got to do the combo to Bellinger. I have questions. I think you can. You know, if you have Yamamoto, it frees up pitching to trade for a bat someplace along the way. These are probably uh, bigger questions, uh, uh, you know, as we get through the winter. Uh, but I, I continue to wonder about their short term abilities unless these young players and they have not been good at developing young players for a long time. I'm suddenly supposed to believe that four or five of them are going to be great simultaneously. I'm not buying it. Uh, so but we'll we'll deal with that over the long term. We'll talk to an ex Yankee and an ex Oriole and somebody who knows the Yankees well and knows Buck Walter well and knows the game well. And he recently retired. Zach Britton joins us next on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. John and I appreciate Zach Britton joining us on the show. Zach just recently uh, announced his retirement and it was a, for quite a career, 12 years, 154 saves and the 2016 season, uh, the highlight of that is 0.54 ERA, finished fourth in the Cy Young, 11th in MVP. And I, I wonder, Zach, if the place to start is why are you retiring? Uh, you're 36. Uh, John and I covered a couple of your teammates, Adam Adavino, former teammates, Adam Adavino and David Robertson, who are even older, uh, who pitched with uh, the Mets and uh, Robertson with the Marlins last year. You, you, you're still, you turned 36, I think, uh, in December. Why, why'd you decide now was the time? I think the biggest thing is I have four young kids. So I knew after the contract with the Yankees, I probably only wanted to play another year or two. My oldest was going to get around that age to where he wasn't able to travel as much or didn't want to. He wanted to be around his friends at home. So he didn't want to make the trips to New York as much. I just never wanted to be that dad that missed that much. So I had it in my head that I really want to play for a year or two. And then as I was working out for teams, just the contract offers weren't 
where I wanted them to be or me and Boris uh, thought to where it was worth it for me to go and be gone and do the things that I knew I could do if I was healthy. I just didn't feel like I was going to get compensated for that. And, and that was okay because I had already made that decision that I wanted to be home and another year or two of playing wasn't going to change much for me. I felt like in my career, it wasn't like I was on a, you know, I wasn't fighting for, I think hall of fame numbers at that stage though. You know, uh, one thing I just want to follow up on, and we kept hearing that the Mets had interest. Obviously, you had a long-term relationship with Buck Showalter. Uh, I know the Brewers were too. Is that anything ever close? Uh, did you ever consider anything seriously last year? Nothing with the Mets. Um, you know, talking with Billy, it almost felt like they were using the, the Buck Showalter-Dom Chidi relationship, uh, you know, against me a little bit. But that w- it would have been nice. I mean, that was one of the places that I had targeted just because I knew them uh, really well. Um, but nothing was really close there. How was it? You've now you announced your retirement a year after not playing. Uh, how was the adjustment? Are, were you comfortable with the decision? Are you comfortable not playing baseball? Being around you, you certainly seem to be someone who loved to do it. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it. I, I think the one thing that you, you miss when you're out of it is the the day to day experience with your teammates and, and the fans and that adrenaline rush of going out and performing. And let's face it, that's the only thing I really did my whole life since I was nine years old was play baseball. And that was, you know, my goal. So last year um, was tough. Uh, You know, I talked with Boris quite a bit about my decision. He said the best thing I could do is take six months completely away from the game and see how you feel. And that's kind of what I did. I watched Garrett Cole a few times when I texted him, he wanted me to watch him pitch. And I did. Um, Or when my son wanted to turn on a game. Uh, you know, you want to see Judge. We, we'd watch we'd watch him play on Machado because, you know, he, he remembers Manny. Uh, so we'd watch a few. But for the most part, I, I really stepped away from the game completely. And it was um, it was tough at first, but uh, I really enjoyed the family time. I didn't realize how much I had missed out on my kids' life, you know, their daily life. And so I think that made the decision easier. I felt like I made the right decision at the right time. Sure, I left the probably a few good years of playing or, you know, a few more years of, you know, making pretty good money. But I think at the end of the day, you know, 20 years from now, I'm not going to regret the decision that I made. You know, uh, Joel mentioned 2016. And we look at your career as a major success from our distance. Uh, You know, we've had Cameron Mabin and other former players on, and they're a little more critical of their career. Uh, How do you view your career now that you could say in retrospect? And is there any regret that you have? I mean, uh, like I really wanted that World Series. I mean, I I felt when I signed that contract with the Yankees, I <clears throat> myself and I think Boris, I think we talked. I mean, I talked about. It. I was like, man, I, I think I'm gonna need at least one World Series ring out of this, you know. So I think for me, that you know, not having that feeling, the individual accolades, they're they're nice, but from everyone that's won a World Series, there's nothing that can kind of. Uh, beat that feeling. I spoke with Jordan Montgomery a lot. You know, uh, he won the World Series obviously this year. So just that feeling, that's my biggest regret. But I think my relief, when I was healthy as a reliever, obviously the last two years of the Yankees, I wasn't. But when I was healthy, I felt like I was one of the best at my position, you know, the years that I was healthy. So I felt like as a reliever, I really came into my own. I'm really happy with that bulk of work. If, If you separate the starter numbers and you look at the reliever numbers, I mean, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to kind of find anybody that was uh, better. I was right up there with anybody that played in that. When I was closing or relieving, definitely not as a starter, <laughs> but <laughs> as the reliever, I was I was very happy with the, the body of work as a reliever. Zach, you, you, you mentioned thinking you were going to win a World Series with the Yankees. Uh, you know, you were quoted last week essentially saying they lost some of their aura 
essentially, right? Like this feeling of uh, that they were unbeatable at home, et cetera. Why don't you sum it up first? What, what do you, you didn't win. Why didn't the team win? I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, as you guys know, when you follow a team, you know, there's sometimes it's a coin flip, right? You know, one guy stays healthy and you can win the whole thing. So it's not um, necessarily one thing, but the one thing I did notice, you know, when I got traded to the Yankees, we had had success in Baltimore and, but not that year we were doing that fire. So we, we traded everybody basically and going to New York, you know, it was really exciting. I knew I wasn't you know, going to close necessarily with Chapman there. I was going to split some time there, but that was okay because it was like, man, this is the Yankees. And uh, when you grow up, that's the kind of the pinnacle of, of sports, right? Is uh, in baseball terms, at least is playing for the Yankees. You know, you're going to win. You know, when I got the, the, I mean, we obviously went to the playoffs right away, but then when I re-signed, I just, I felt like we were always playing catch up to somebody else. And I, I don't really why that was. Cause I was like, man, this is the Yankees. Like we should be just concerned about, you know, building the best team and going out and playing baseball with the best players. But I always felt like we were trying to catch, you know, like the Rays, which is so weird because of how they build their teams, right? You know, they're going to be budget conscious and they're going to really dive into the analytics and try to build, um, just kind of like a scrappy team, which we didn't necessarily need to do that in New York. But I think with my quotes, I had talked to a lot of people around the game, just friendships that I had had. And when they came into Yankee Stadium, you know, that was one of the first things I thought it wasn't the same place. It wasn't as intimidating. They felt like our teams were like more one dimensional than before. Um, and what I said to Brittany was when I was coming up with the Orioles before we got good, you, know, you didn't want to go to New York. When I was a young starter, you didn't want to face that lineup because it was a tough lineup, you know, the guys at the top of the lineup, whether it was Jeter or, you know, Ichiro, obviously, you know, he might've been at the back end of his career, but they still, you know, could beat you multiple ways. And there's nothing harder as a pitcher when you know the offense, you know, they can hit a home run, they can walk, they can get a couple of base hits, they'll move guys around. It makes it much harder to navigate a lineup. And I kind of felt like we had lost that and other people had told me we had lost that. And that's where the, those quotes had come from with Brittany. You know, Joe mentioned your career year. I think you gave up four runs in that year or something like that for and it was just an amazing season and i didn't have a vote so uh, i'm not going to apologize but i would have voted for you didn't have a vote that year uh, i think porcello may have won and that was the year i think justin verlander finished second you were fourth and uh, you know justin we we know that his wife came out and said that uh, you know her husband should have won uh, your wife is a brilliant lawyer from what i hear she didn't come out and say anything but what did you think i mean uh, to me you had an all-time season so I thought their seasons were excellent, but we'd seen them before. So I thought you should win. Did you have any thoughts on that? You know, I was, I think in the moment, I was just so focused on the season. And then afterwards, I, I felt like I was at least going to be in like the top three. <laughs> and I didn't, I didn't even get that. And I, I'm not really sure. I mean, obviously I got the reliever of the year and that's the award designated for, you know, having, you know, a good reliever season. So uh, I was happy with that. With the Cy Young, I just felt like it was going to be that old time debate, right? Do you throw enough innings? Are you making enough of an impact? Are you out impacting the starter, right? I guess would be how you look at it. Um, and that's tough as a guy that's been a starter. I mean, is 200 innings more valuable than 65? I think it's all relative, right? You know, depending on your game situation. Now, if you're getting save opportunities, they're all three-run games. I don't necessarily think that's as impactful as maybe having a lot of one run sets. I think you got to look at it a little deeper than that. But um, I think Parcella won 20 wins. I don't think we value wins as much as we used to, um, but 20 wins is still a lot. So 
I'm not disappointing the Cy Young. How can you be disappointed in the fact that I, like I was a reliever and even got a chance to, to you know to be nominated for one? I think is is pretty impressive. Yeah, it, it you know uh, you mentioned uh, Brittany a few times. I, we should give her some props here. Brittany Brittany Giroli from uh, the Athletic wrote the uh, original story when you retired that included the uh, stuff about the Yankees. And if I could just just because the Yankees have been so, they are you mentioned it they're always the pinnacle. They're such big news all the time, and their two most forward facing executives have been under fire. Uh, this offseason, Aaron Boone and Buck Showald. Uh, I'm sorry, Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman. Uh, you played for those guys. I wonder if you could tell us, do you think Aaron Boone is a good manager? Do you think Brian Cashman's a good general manager? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. And some of the best advice I got when I went to New York, I'm not going to name the, the player, but was that the Yankee fan base expects an all-star at every position every day, Right. And, it, and it's true and rightfully so. And that's not just for the players on the field, right? That's your manager, that's your general manager, that's your owner or whatnot. So when you have a season or when you haven't won a World Series in a while, I think the fan base, I know the fan base there gets restless and they're going to critique everybody. I think Brian Cashman, he's the longest tenured GM in the game. He's a great baseball guy. Uh, I'm not so sure you're going to find a better baseball guy, a guy that's experienced multiple ways to win championships. Aaron Boone, the same way. I mean, you look at his the baseball family, him as a player. I mean, you're not going to really find a better baseball resume. Booney does a great job with the players. Players love playing for him. Uh, Boone's the right guy for New York. He, he handles the media well, I think. Um, he communicates with players well. Um, he's a good manager for the player now that's coming up, right? Because it's a new type of player. And with Cashman, he communicated great with me. I think sometimes, and, and this happened to me personally, when analytics – comes into play, like, right, we get our iPad. You can go down the rabbit hole of analytics and you can kind of find anything to justify anything, right? Like the numbers, you can kind of skew them anyway to paint the picture you wanted to paint. And I think with Brian, it might be just, you know, maybe needed to blend the two a little bit more. I'm not so sure because I'm not in the front office. You know, I only know what I saw as a player and what I was uh, exposed to. And I'm not exposed to what's happening behind closed doors in the front office. So I don't really know you know, what their discussions are, are going on. I just know as a player there, um, a lot of times in the clubhouse, I felt like there was this disconnect between some of the things that we were presented with and what we were seeing on the field as players. And sometimes that creates, you know, that rift, which is not what you want. You want a, a very, from a clubhouse culture standpoint, you want everything to mesh well together, whether it be the communication from the front office uh, to the play on the field. And I felt that sometimes the two just weren't connecting well. What the players were saying and were like, hey, we should be doing this. And this has been doing this has been working well. And then sometimes the way that that was implemented through the data uh, didn't didn't line up. And I don't think I'm the only player that feels that way. But I don't think it's Brian Cashman or Aaron Boone. I think it's an organizational thing, because, like I said, Brian's won (laughs) in the game through all these different transitions of whether it be the shift or how data is interpreted and applied to, you know, signing free agents or trading for players or, you know, um, building out your roster. So I think he's the right guy. He's a great baseball guy. I just think sometimes we got to stay step back. Me as a player, I did it too. And figure out what the data is telling me and then what should I be applying and what maybe I shouldn't be applying. I don't know if that's a, that's a clear answer, but you know, that's no, very interesting. I mean, I, this is a tougher question now. Is there any 
thoughts on how to resolve any of that issue? I mean, that's probably a not. They're probably not unique with that issue. Yeah, I don't think they're unique at all. No, you know, you know, a lot of guys are going to point to, you know, obviously the Rangers winning a World Series. Chris Young being a former player, but understanding like the analytics, bringing in some of those guys, you know, they win a World Series. But I think there's multiple ways to do it. I saw Chris Getz got hired as the White Sox. So there's some former players. I feel like teams are more open now to bring in some of these guys back. I mean, it's a specific guy. You're not just talking about anybody that played. Oh, yeah, let's just hire him. Right. But I think somebody that can understand that analytics is, is important. It's just about understanding the human dynamic of playing the game and how can you actually apply it to, to the guys playing on the field. And I think that's where the disconnect is. And I think some teams have identified that that is an issue. And I know guys that have played with the race have said that they do a very good job of uh, addressing some of the analytics with the players, picking and choosing what you know, players should know and what should stay in the front office. You know, Zach, I'm wondering, and again, this is this is a difficult thing because, as you mentioned, you don't know exactly what's going on, wheeling and dealing upstairs. You're not there. But is it the job of the veteran player when you were there, someone like Garrett Cole now, Aaron Judge, to like say, guys, there is a disconnect here? Because as recently as a couple of weeks ago at the GM meetings, Brian Cashman was still suggesting that there are some 50-50 split, that the analytics don't win all the time, that this is a misperception. But then I know we talk to people like you. I talk to players in the clubhouse, and it's not a misperception, right? There is discontent. There is some feeling that, to your point, you know, like the numbers could be justified in any way. Ah, see, if you would have thrown a slider, you would have gotten the guy out. Would I? My slider against this hitter? So I just wonder always, is is it where does the veteran player fall into this to be able to either march upstairs, owner, GM, manager, hey, This isn't working here. We need a more human touch and a more eyeball. What's working on this date, on this Tuesday night? Right. I I think one of your points is the it's not a Yankee issue. Right. I mean, let's let's face it. There's there's always been a disconnect from the player to probably the front office. There's always been that disconnect between, hey, I'm playing. You've never played. Right. You're just looking at the computer, which which isn't which isn't really the right way to look at it. Right. Because that just causes like the struggle that no one's ever going to win. As a veteran player, there's been multiple instances when I was in New York. And, and you know, this is a New York thing for me because with the Orioles, we didn't have any analytics when I was there. <laughs> okay, so uh, the Yankees are my first time being exposed to any of it. But I know that there was multiple instances with veteran players that had said, hey, like this isn't working. Um, like, why are like, why am I or why are we the only people that that see that it's not working? Like, can we can we adjust, you know? As players, you you make the adjustment when it's not working, right? And I think there were, there was definitely some veteran players who are like, hey, this hasn't been working. Like, can we like make an adjustment instead of doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result? I'll give you like a great example. I remember, you know, when Gio Herschella was with us, you know, we had some injuries. Gio kind of came up and no one really expected much of him, right? But he played amazing defense, amazing defense. I mean, he saved so many runs and um, just like his energy playing. And then offensively, he kind of came alive, right? But he didn't, maybe didn't do the things that like he would, you know, he didn't hit a ton of home runs, right? He wasn't necessarily that guy, but he played great defense. He was a steady presence. But the team dynamic when he was on the field kind of changed. I mean, you could just feel it like, man, this guy's going to make great plays for you. Or he's going to have a good at bat and maybe get a single. And, you know, nothing flashy. But there was a dynamic where I felt like maybe we played our best baseball with some of those type of players came up, the Mike Talkmans for a moment, you know, or the Gio Herschel. It's like we played some really good baseball in those months when we had 
kind of this scrappy team. You know, Guardy was playing a little bit more. Um, not saying that's the way to go, but there's sometimes where maybe the analytics isn't going to say that's the best guy, you know, to put in the lineup. And I, I know it's not going to say it, <laughs> but um, the team just flows better. If, the, if that makes sense, as you know, you guys are in the clubhouse, you could, you can tell, I mean, I'm sure you guys could tell in those moments, I think they called them the B squad bombers at the time. Right. But there was this thing about the clubhouse energy was good. The, the play on the field wasn't necessarily, you know, we're not hitting home runs a ton, but we're making great plays on defense. We're moving guys over. There's just a different energy to the team. Um, and those are the things that you can't quantify with analytics because there's no, it's not numbers based. It's just human based. And the, the sport is still human based. You know, every day when I go to the field, I don't feel the same way. And if I don't have my best sinker, I'm not going to put those numbers up that maybe the computer would project me to put up. Right. So I think there's just that disconnect. I understand the value of all of it. And I think some of these guys that are playing that are getting into significant roles in the front office. I think they understand that as well. Going back to Baltimore, where there apparently were no analytics. um, (laughs) uh, We all think Buck Showalter is a brilliant baseball guy. Obviously, there was that one time in the playoffs, I believe it was against Toronto. I think it was an elimination game where he kind of was saving you, I think. I don't know. Did you? We never quite got the explanation. Did you get an explanation of what happened there? Because he certainly got a lot of criticism for that one move uh, that you weren't used. And you were clearly the best reliever not only on the team, but maybe even in the game at that moment. Yeah, you know, we never really talked about it in depth. I think over the years, you know, when I think about it, Um, the one thing about Buck, as you guys know, I always felt he was overly prepared. Uh, I just don't think he he thought that was the situation, whether, you know, we weren't really scoring. Liriano was in for the Blue Jays at the time throwing really well. And I I just thought he was saving me for, you know, a safe situation or at least an opportunity where he felt like, you know, maybe it was going to be like a two inning save. Um, and he could deploy me. I don't think there was anybody left after Yabaldo when it was me and, I'm not so sure if there's anybody. We had kind of used the bullpen pretty significantly that game. But, uh, no, I, I've never really got an answer to it. But uh, the one thing about Buck is he always put me in positions to be successful. So um, maybe he didn't feel like that was the situation. Uh, I'm not so sure. But, you know, he didn't lose my respect. I just think the games that happened after ours with how Andrew Miller threw with the Indians – And things like that, I think it got magnified because teams started deploying their relievers early. But, you know, that's all in hindsight. It's tough when you're in the moment. And, uh, you know, he made that decision and he had you know to live with it, obviously, with the backlash. But I'm not so sure I was ready to go. I just don't think he felt like that was the best, like you know, best situation for me. You know, Baldo had thrown well and it just it just didn't work out. You know, my final question for you, you know, anybody who's been listening knows you can tell you're a very thoughtful, very bright fellow. You were obviously very active in the union. So I was wondering what your plans are now that you are free, not just a free agent, but free to do whatever you want to do. Uh, what are you looking at? Do you would like to be in the front office? Uh, would you like to be an agent, work for the union? And also on a, on a little bit less serious note, I know that during the middle of your career, you changed uh, your spelling from an H to a K. Was that just for the strikeout while you were pitching, or is it is that actually how you spell your name? Well, the name change was definitely more of a legal thing for my wife. She had found my birth certificate and saw that it was a K, and it was just, why are you spelling it with an H? And I was like, I don't know. That's just how like I was always spelling it. So that was more of a legal thing for my wife. I think my focus right now is going to be spending time with my kids, but if I really think about it in the future, and the one thing, you know, if I'm going to get back into the game, I always uh, have had this interest in wanting to help build a team. You know, not saying that I want to be a GM right be a GM at all, 
but I definitely want to at least help somebody maybe in the GM role with my perspective. Cause I think it's, I think it's valuable when there's players that, you know, get invested in, in both sides. You know, I'm not old school baseball. I'm not, you know, hundred percent analytics. I just think I got a good feel for the, like the players nowadays. And obviously um, having done some of the things with the union and communicating with all different types of players, you know, the stuff that I had to do with the Yankees, you know, whether it was during COVID or not, I felt like I, I evolved a lot. Um, but then the Yankees exposed me to analytics. I feel like I learned a lot. I would always talk to those guys. I was very interested in the information. And I think those are good people behind the scenes. They don't get a lot of credit when things go the team's way and the team's doing well, but they definitely get a lot of um, criticism when the team struggles. So uh, I know those those guys in the Yankees front office really well, and they're good people, and they want to win as much as the players on the field. Uh, but I think I bring that dynamic, you know, whether that be to a front office at some stage where some other players maybe don't have any interest in doing that. Zach, just to wrap up, you mentioned that you try to stay away from the game a lot last year, uh, you know, be with your family. But you also mentioned here that you have a big picture thing that maybe you want to be involved in the game. Uh, big picture, long term. Will you do anything this year? Will you try to reach out to people and say, hey, I'm around you know, let me walk through your minor league system or I'd come for a meeting. What what do you want to do in baseball immediately, maybe not to lose a feel for it, a hand in the game? Yeah, that's a good question because you definitely don't want to be away from it too long because the game evolves. I'm not, you know, I kind of will wait. Um, I'm going to talk with, you know, I, I still communicate with Boris a lot. Uh, we have a really good relationship and kind of pick his brain on maybe the best way. If that's, you know, if I want to get back in the front office, what's the best way to, you know, approach teams or, um, you know, do I wait you know for somebody to reach out? So I'll talk with him. Um, but as you say, yeah, maybe just assisting for a little bit. Uh, you know, like I said, I don't really, I don't want to coach. Uh, my goal had always been to help build the team. I think that makes a lot of sense for, you know, the skill set that I want to bring to a, to an organization. So I'm not so sure what I'm going to do right now, whether it's reaching out for teams or seeing if somebody has interest in, in uh, seeing what I have to say, uh, you know, I'm not so sure, but I do think staying in the game in some capacities is important because whether it be rule changes or, you know, um, just the play on the field, things evolve very quickly in the game more so than people think. So I definitely want to stay involved in some capacity. Zach, you mentioned uh, your relationship with Boris uh, quite a bit here. If you'd like to break news on here and tell us where Bellinger, Montgomery, and Snell are going, we're, we're happy. It's just us three. Nobody else will know it if, it, if you'd like. Well, you know, as you guys know, Scott, it's probably going to be whoever gives them the most money, but <laughs> which, is, uh, which is okay. You know, he never gives me, he'll never spill the beans to me. I don't care. You know, that's the stuff he keeps close to the best, but probably whoever gives them the, the most money. Well, Zach, I, I say this often. I, I don't like to talk for John, but I do it here uh, saying uh, we love covering you. You're one of the guys always available, always honest, never cliched. Uh, and I think you showed that again. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. And uh, great career and great luck with your retirement. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. We thank Zach Britton for joining us on the show. John, hit or error? I'm going to give a hit to the St. Louis Cardinals. I know they're getting some criticism for not going out and getting one of the biggest pitchers out there, but they got a pretty good one. Uh, second is Cy Young and Sonny Gray. 
I like that move. He'll be good in St. Louis. He's been good everywhere but New York. So, and they added to depth, obviously, with Gibson, who I think is solid. And Lynn, we'll see, obviously, give up more than 40 home runs last year, but he does answer the bell, which is important. Uh, and I think their offense is actually very, very good. I don't know what happened at the end of last year. Uh, obviously, they did not play up to their standard. Even their two superstars didn't. But I think they're going to be much better this year. I think they have improved themselves. Yeah, I think they have other moves to do. Uh, they still have money to spend. They have a bunch of uh, extra bats to go out and uh, make, make a trade or two. And I actually think Sonny Gray is a very, very good major league pitcher who just wasn't good in New York for whatever reason that was. Uh, but I, 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 I don't know that I love Lennon Gibson, but I do think Sonny Gray will be a good pitcher for a few more years. John, I'm going to give a hit to the two World Series participants the Rangers and Diamondbacks, it came out uh, what they did with their share money. Uh, I believe the uh, Rangers did 64 shares. I, did, I think the Diamondbacks did 71. Our friend, colleague, and someone who was on this show, Ken Rosenthal, wrote a column in The Athletic about what the Diamondbacks did with their distribution. Uh, Evan Longoria was quoted throughout. And I love when the teams recognize that this is a way to change, you know, like 300000 for them or $400,000 for some of the veteran players. It's not as much as obviously, but they recognize a full share for a clubhouse attendant, for a traveling secretary, for a food attendant, for their nutritionist. That's life-changing money for people who have traveled the whole way with the team. And more and more, and I'll, I'll say this, you know, I always like to point out the NBA and uh, your neck of the woods, old neck of the woods, Milwaukee, da Damian Lillard, uh, Dame Lillard pointed out that he'd like to win this in-season tournament for the Bucs because the money is so valuable to the guy who's the two-way player, to the fourth coach on the team, the fifth coach on the team. And when ball players see the, that, that the world bigger than themselves, I think it reflects well on the sport. And I think how the Rangers and the Diamondbacks handled their shares reflected well on those on the leadership of those two organizations player wise yeah i mean gold star certainly the rangers and the diamondbacks that was a great thing to do uh certainly even if it's not a full share even if it's not the five hundred thousand and the three hundred thousand even if it's a half share or a third share or a quarter share or whatever i mean getting an extra hundred thousand dollars that's great that's terrific for certainly for people making a hundred thousand or making fifty thousand or whatever so I, I give them a lot of credit for that. Uh, that was a great thing to do. Yeah, and those were the champions last year. We're going to continue to watch who's building towards a championship in 2024. John and I will be at the winter meetings in Nashville next week. We'll be doing the show from there. The show is a podcast from the New York Post. Thanks, as always, J Jake Brown, Andrew Hartz, our producers, for helping us do this show. It doesn't get done without them. Don't forget, the show drops on the Yes app about Wednesday at noon each week. Uh, subscribe, rate, review, uh, Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen to uh, your podcast. Please give us a five-star rating. It does help the show. And John, I'll see you in Nashville. Stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Hayden.